0: That it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve <clears throat> do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, <coughs> by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for you have given us warnings and instructions in your word that you have the authority to do so, that we have the duty to heed it and to obey it. And Father, we acknowledge that you have given us great gifts regarding uh, the ability to speak. And Father, we pray that we would desire to use it For your glory that we would use it to give grace to others that we would use it to build others up and father we acknowledge how much the devil uses our speech tempts us to use it for harm and father oftentimes we don't even realize the negative effect that our speech has and father we pray that you would help us to be mindful of it that we would seek you that we would honor Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would continually refine us, that we acknowledge uh, what a world of iniquity is involved in our tongues. And Father, we pray that we would desire to follow after you, that we are a people of unclean lips. And Father, we pray that your holiness uh, would strike us, that we would acknowledge how far we are from your perfect standard of righteousness. And Father, may we seek you. May we trust that in you we have true forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. We thank you, Father, for the perfect work of your Son, that not only did he live the perfect life, he died in the place of sinners. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus, will be exalted and that your servant will be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Here we think for a moment about the history of warfare that oftentimes we speak in terms of three categories of, of nuclear, biological, uh, chemical warfare. You realize that you, you think back to how, how in history uh, many of those things already existed. For example, uh, I'm forgetting who they are. Was it the, the Byzantines or the Assyrians? They had what was called Greek fire, and they would typically use it on a ship. And they had some kind of a pump mechanism and uh, the, the, the people, I mean, Greek fire is basically like napalm, and the exact mix, they did not know. It, can't, it cannot be reproduced now, but, but everyone who was on a ship was afraid of it, this Greek fire, because it would get on you, and you would jump into the, the sea, and it wouldn't go out. It would keep burning, just like napalm. And you think about biological warfare. We have anthrax and risen and, and all these other types of biological agents, but you realize that that's older, biological warfare is older than the hills. You think back to the times of walled cities, when they used catapults, right, walled cities. This is, walled city means before the time of gunpowder, right? It was well, Once they had explosives, then the walled cities didn't do anything. But they would use a catapult, and they would find, you know, kind of like what we see if you, you, if you have a, a deer that gets hit, and it's dying on the road, and it starts to get kind of plump. And, and, well, they would take those kind of diseased and decaying animals, and they would catapult them over the wall. And then they would land inside, and they'd probably, you know— release its contents and all that filth. And you think about the kind of damage that it would have and the people there before they knew about infection and they would, a lot of people would get sick from it. You think about how uh, the ancient warriors, supposedly the Romans would, uh, would rub their swords into their own feces or into uh, a dead cadaver or into the rotting flesh of an animal so that when they cut someone, stab someone with it, they would become infected. You think here about physical warfare. This is physical warfare. They, they think about the, the, uh, the way that you can infect someone with these biological agents. Have you ever thought about how, how the enemy, Satan, would use this pollution, this rottenness, this infection... And here in today's passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The word there is describing that of rottenness, that of infection, that of decay. And you realize that Satan uses even the corrupting talk to pollute and to infect and to ensnare sinners. How oftentimes we desire, we pray before a meeting, before a time of fellowship, that the Lord, that you would bless the words of my mouth, that you would put a guard, Psalm 141, that put a guard over my lips. How important it is that we seek the Lord's guidance. The Lord would hold back that which harms others, that he would use the things that we say to build others up. <clears throat> Here we come to this passage in Ephesians, where the Apostle Paul Starting in Ephesians 4, he's transitioned to the imperatives. This then is how you should live. And perhaps at times, some people like to focus on the indicatives. Uh, Ephesians 1 through 3, this is what God has done for you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And perhaps for some Christians, we want to stay in that realm. We, We just like hearing about all the great things that God has done for us. And then there are others Christians who were always thinking about, hey, well, well, what do I need to do? What, what, what am I supposed to do? And we realize that they both have to go together. That we should delight in what the Lord has done for us, but we should also desire to live for his glory. That we should live in a humble submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the truth that we see in this passage, Ephesians 4.29, is... Living your new life in Christ means ceasing cesspool speech, but instead speaking what blesses others. Living your new life in Christ means ceasing cesspool speech, but instead speaking what blesses others. We'll look at this at, in three points. First, plug polluting prattle. Second, so salutary speech, and third, the goal of grace. <clears throat> so the first point, plug polluting prattle. We have then the first part of verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Here, the Apostle Paul has transitioned to speak about how we ought to live. And he transitions from the general imperatives of of putting off the old self, putting on the new self, and he's come to the specifics, the specific imperatives. Put away falsehood, speak the truth with his neighbor that we ought not to be angry, that we, uh, the thief should no longer steal. You think about the old life, that property and theft, that these things uh, perhaps didn't ring true for us, that it was something we thought little of, to take from somebody else. So long as you don't get caught, it's fine. Uh, the thief must no longer steal, but he must labor diligently. So instead of uh, in easy money, of taking from other people, Uh, where the other person loses and you gain, we think about how there's a new way of thinking of things. Our work should gain us, but it should gain somebody else. So both sides gain. And then we ought to be diligent in honest work, godly work. And we ought to do it so that we can share it with others. Here, what you think about new life in Christ also means that there must be a putting to death of our sinful anger. The sinful anger that is founded upon pride, that demands me first, uh, that insists on uh, the things that we want. And we don't tend to think about what other people want and what's good for other people. Oftentimes, uh, we see this come up regarding the life of the church. So people, people think about, hey, I got this great job, and it's off in the wilderness, and I'm going to make you know, double the money that I'm making here. And then the question comes up and you move there, what church will you attend? And I was like, crickets. Oh, I never thought about that. Well, what about the church family that you're leaving behind? And there's like still more crickets. And, and here we think about not only are we thinking about ourselves, you should be thinking about the life of the church, how that how did it affects the person sitting next to you. New life means uh our speech must change. Our elder read earlier in James chapter 3 how the tongue is this fire. It's a world of iniquity. That you, you think about the way that sin happens. The accounts, recent trial, recent trial of one of these that the world calls them active shooters. We call, I, I think we should call them mass murderers. It's not an active shooter, it's a mass murderer. And the way that it happens is there's a pattern of think, say, do. Think, say, do. So they conceive of it in their hearts. They come up with these plans. The last guy who was on trial indicated that these plans were in his heart, this premeditation Had not gone on for a few months, it it went on for several years. Several years it was premeditated. And the way that the mouth works, you have the specific command here let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But the say is merely uh, the the effect of the heart. That the way that, uh, if you've ever seen this pressure cooker, right, the pressure cooker has this this open tube on top, and then you have a weight that sits on top of it. And as your pressure cooker heats up, then what happens is the, the gas in there, the liquid starts to turn to gas, and the pressure releases. Well, the mouth, your mouth, is simply the pressure release valve of your heart. Whatever's brewing in your heart will get released from your mouth. So these mass murderers, they've thought about, they made these plans about murder. And then eventually they, they speak it to others. And there's accounts how tips were given to the FBI. And in these cases, friends were saying, hey, this person is not well. He's, he's shared about these plans. Some, some YouTuber had in the comments, this guy said he's going to commit this crime. And nothing was done about it. And then finally, there is the do. There is the carrying out of the actions. They conceive of it in the heart. Uh, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and And then there is the committing of the crime, committing of the sin, the action. Here, when you think about the need for every one of us to heed this warning regarding speech. Some people kind of think, well, why do you make such a big deal about words? Just a bunch of of hot air. We say these words, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. We just say it and blah, 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 and it's gone. Well, here we have in James chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religious, religion is worthless. Uh, it's not that this person's religion is called into question. This, we're, we're told here this person's religion is worthless. That in true religion, as our Lord Jesus has given it to us, there must be There must be a bridling of the tongue. There must be an examination of our speech, what we say, how we say it, what our motive is in saying the words we use, that since Jesus has commanded it, he has jurisdiction over it. When you think about God's way of speaking, in the early accounts of Genesis, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. None of us has that creative power. We all want the ability to speak and have things happen. We we do have that to some degree. We can speak in prayer. And God is the one who makes things happen. But we are entirely dependent upon him. Now, some people wonder, speech, Speech is just a bunch of hot air. But you realize... The things that we say have an effect on us. There's a feedback loop. That imagine every day you got up in the morning. Everyone whom you are supposed to love. Imagine every morning you got up and said to him, I hate you from the bottom of my heart. And may your day be horrible. Those aren't mere words. Not only will those words negatively affect your loved one. Those words will negatively affect your day. They're not mere words. They have an effect. It's not that the words come out and then they vaporize and they're gone. They have a lingering effect on our lives. Instead, that we ought to speak that which is right and true. That for those whom we are called to love, at least to them, that we should say to them often, I love you. I wish you well. May the Lord bless your day. You realize that words have a lasting and a lingering effect. Here we think about the types of Pollution. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The first concern is that of too many, too much words, speaking too much. We often see this in two places. We see this in children, <coughs> infants, toddlers, whatever. We're always so eager to hear them talk. So we try to get them to talk, we try to speak slowly, mouth out the words. And then they finally talk. And then when they start talking, they don't stop talking. And then we try to get them to stop talking, but they they don't stop. They just keep going. And then the other would be that of teachers, specifically that of pastors and elders, those who are called to teach. And we we realize that we will be judged more strictly. That's the reality of it. This is where prayer comes in, the need to go to our God in prayer, ask for his guidance. Even in Psalm 141, the the prayer there of setting a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips, that the Lord would hold us back, realizing what he has called us to do, realizing how quickly and easily we fail. And perhaps this was, this was Isaiah's concern, that I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips that we don't really need to look at how we spend our money. We don't have to look at, uh, back then, the the blood that was shed. He says, just look at our lips. And that's proof that we're sinners. Sinners that will be consumed by the holy and the righteous God. Here, Jesus warns about the too many words. Mark chapter 12. I'm sorry, Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verses 35 to 37. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will be will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. Here Jesus is saying every careless word, meaning every word that you just kind of glibly let off your lips. If he's going to judge every careless, every idle word, how much more so will he judge every word with evil intent? Here we think about the types of uh, polluting and corrupting words. Is How often is it <clears throat> that our words are self-exalting as we speak to others? I don't know if you've noticed this effect. <clears throat> if you've come across salesmen, that uh, the more they... The more they raise to you, the product they're trying to sell you, the more resistant you probably become. So so let's say the person just meets you, hey, I, I sell insurance, and uh, uh, you really need life insurance. So it's like, vroom, step down. And, and then a minute later, he raises again, hey, did, can I tell you how you need life insurance? Vroom. And, and then and, and as, as time goes on, it's like, man, I, I I think I was willing to listen to the guy, and then and as he kept... The ten times he raised the how I need to buy life insurance from him, it's like he, he, it just got lost and lost and, and worse and worse, right? Less and less likely. And here we think about when our words exalt ourselves, right? The, the, the similar effect, unlikely to buy, it's like, hey, unlikely to think highly of, right? God, God speaks about how we should let another commend us and not we ourselves, right? So we think about cutting out. The speech of ours that exalts ourselves. We should not do that. What about words of complaints, of murmuring, of grumbling? The Apostle Paul warns the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 10. He speaks about the example of Israel. He says, look at, the, look at the people of Israel. And he warns them from that example. Nor grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the destroyer you want to you want to make the claim that hey words don't mean much well apparently god didn't think so because here in israel <clears throat> they were grumbling right Gr- grumbling is this anamonepia right where the grumble sounds like the, you know the, the 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 kind of noises we make when we're unhappy about something unhappy about a decision that was made over us unhappy about The type of vegetable you're having for dinner. Whatever's the case. You start to get into the habit of grumbling. And so that you and I are aware. This is no minor thing. To our God. This is why the Israelites were laid low. Or they were destroyed by the destroyer. Because grumbling is not minor to God. And grumbling. Complaining. I don't know if you can tell. But grumbling and complaining. Is is extremely contagious so don't do it because other people will catch on and do it also they think about <clears throat> polluting talk talk that tempts or facilitates other people to sin here we have a situation second samuel chapter 13 <clears throat> after david sinned of he committed mur- uh, adultery and then murder <clears throat> that god had spoke to him hey listen This is not going to go well for you. Uh, Just think about the second half of the book of 2 Samuel. All those is just an account of God fulfilling his prophecy to his beloved David, and the sword will not depart from your home. Basically starts 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 12, right? You have the account, was it, of, of Nathan coming to David, where he tells him this, and 2 Samuel chapter 13, this is when it begins. So it begins. Uh, with Amnon. Amnon speaks, and he's not feeling well, so he's sick in bed, and his friend Jonadab hears about this. And we're told that Jonadab was a very crafty man. So he asked him, what's wrong? So then Jonadab had this opportunity as a friend. He should have said, hey, listen, buddy, you're the king's son. Why are you desiring your sister? This is incestuous. Buddy, get over this thing. There's a whole bunch of women who would like you because you're the king's son. Grow a brain and stop lusting after your sister. This is what he ought to have said. Something of that line. Hey, buddy, you know, quit that. Go, go the right way. Don't go the wrong way, go the right way. He doesn't do that. He instead gives him on, a, a, advice on how to carry out his plan. And you you see, see here an example of how this was a situation in which. Godly speech should have been offered. But corrupting talk was given. And it resulted in harm. Here he should have warned him. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't do this. Realize also. How. The rule that Satan tempts most. The highest faculties. You look at the animals. They can make noises. But. Do they have the ability of speech that we have? You think about how something so distinct, you hear a person's voice. Especially for a blind person, they pick this up. They can identify a person by a voice. So you think about how God has created people in such a way that the voices are so distinct. Eh, Sometimes you might say, hey, that person sounds like so-and-so, but you know what, if you... If you get them together, you realize they're not entirely the same. That Satan actually tempts these highest faculties, that the higher gifts that the Lord has given us, he specifically tempts those and attacks those so that they might be used for harm. Here, you and I, perhaps you've come to the realization about how, at times, you you intend good. But a situation a meeting with a friend, a meeting uh, with other multiple people, how somehow the situation turns bad and the good intentions don't don't amount to much because then uh, words spoken in emotion and how quickly those words cause pain. Meaning that here we realize even with good intentions, our words can do harm but we don't even realize the harm that they do. This is why it's so important that we set a guard over our mouths, that we pray before our meetings, before, before coming to church, that we, we ought to pray and ask God, God, I'm going to be interacting with people. Not just from the front, not just from the pulpit, but individually. Grant me eyes to see needs. Grant me a heart that loves and cares for the needs of others. That we would be perceptive. And here, think about how important it is that we watch. That we should pray before meetings with people. Before we start our day. Oh Lord, I could run into any number of people. I don't know about you, I'm kind of an introvert. I think through conversations I had during the day and I, and I, you know, do the, the Monday morning quarterback thing of, oh, I should have said this, I could have said that. I, I shouldn't have gotten to that topic at all. And you realize that what we need most, we, we need wisdom, on-the-spot wisdom as people ask you the question, so why are you a Christian anyway? And, and, and you have this moment of opportunity. Or Hey, you, you did all these bad things and it's like, hey, h- how do you defend yourself without seeming defensive? You, you, you hear these situations that come up every day. And h- how do we turn those things out for good rather than for evil? It's prayer that we need. How much more so uh, for those who are called to speak for a living? How much more so those who are called to teach for a living? Teachers. What about parents? The tremendous amount of weight that a father or mother's words have on children. You think about friends that you come across. Wayne and I often say this if there is anything going wrong in the church, we are usually the last ones to hear. I'm not joking with you. We are the last ones to hear because so and so will share it with with a peer in the church before they come to the elder or the minister. Say, "Hey, I have this problem." They they talk to each other. So here, you think about how important it is that you have wisdom. Oh, this is something serious, right? We need to pray about this. Or, hey, uh, uh, we're in need of help here, And, and all of you have a duty then regarding what you say to others and how there is a redirecting that can happen and ought to happen. But the Lord uses common people, the the words that we speak, that it might bless others. So this is plug-polluting, Prado. Second point, so salutary speech. So salutary speech. <clears throat> but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. <clears throat> Here we have only as is good for building up, or as we would say, edifying. And here, there's already in place an illustration about the building of a house. You think about what goes into building a house, building a wall. There's mortar, there's brick. There's layers of mortar, there's layers of brick. But then, as we think through this house analogy, imagine the guy is trying to Put mortar down. And lay brick. But he's got these dynamite sticks. Like sticking out of his vest. These dynamite sticks. With these fuses out there. And he's smoking a cigarette. While he's trying to build this house. And you hear you think about sometimes. Right. Uh, we often think about. About words that build up as being all positive. But the scripture never says that. If, if he's. You know. He's got his. He's putting on his his mortar and he's laying on brick he's got these dynamite sticks with these fuses and he's smoking the cigarette with ashes falling off it, it might be very important to say listen this is going to be detrimental to the building of your house right because you could all get reset to zero or actually negative right when, when that dynamite stick blows up not to mention what might happen to you here we we think about how God works certain people think about oh we like to keep things positive, only positive reinforcement Right? Or others, hey, only negative reinforcement. But you realize God, doesn't he do both? You, you look at how he deals with Israel. There's there's blessings that he gives, positive blessings. And at times there's discipline, the negative. So he, he has the positive and the negative. Here, we think about how salutary speech, going back to that story about uh, Amnon. So, Jonadab did what he was not supposed to do. He gave him, he gave him a, a game plan. Right, This is dangerous. You, you give a, a child a game plan of what he shouldn't do, so then he, he starts to carry out this game plan. And then you have Tamar, who's the victim of the game plan. And her words are least likely to be accepted because she's the, she's the target. And her words were... In many ways, entirely accurate. Yet they fell on dead dead ears. No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. <clears throat> as for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. She's not saying, hey, you're going to be thought of as someone who tries to drink soup with a fork. No, she's saying you would be seen as A moral deviant, as a degenerate, as someone who was was outlandishly immoral. That's what she's saying to him. And as for me, where could I carry my shame? Here, she she remained unmarried in in the house of her brother. These things were entirely accurate. Everything that she said would happen, happened. But it fell on deaf ears. He, He would not hear. Here we think back to the The reference to Psalm 141, the building up, oftentimes, there might be warnings. In verse 5 of Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, it is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Wisdom is often demonstrated by heeding warnings. But there's also the positive. That there is the need to build up, there is the need to encourage and guide. Sometimes encouragement is negative, sometimes it's positive. It could be either one, <clears throat> as is fits the occasion. Here we think about the various situations that may come up. First Thessalonians 5:14. Now we exhort you, brethren: warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient. With all, so you think about these different categories. Uh, we're not told to uphold or comfort the unruly. We're told to warn them. We're not told to admonish or rebuke the faint-hearted or the weak. We're told to uphold them and to comfort them. You see, you see the difference. We, we can't use the same approach for all of them. As fits the occasion. <clears throat> the question of. Quantity, you think about the quantity of speech as fits the occasion. Sometimes just a look or a gesture gesture, is needed. Other times a sentence or a paragraph, more might be needed. Have you ever realized how people learn? Sometimes a question is more helpful than an imperative or declarative statement. You see God doing that. God dialoguing with Cain. God dialoguing with Jonah. That oftentimes God questions because questions draw us out. Sometimes questions are more useful than answers. I'm needing to learn that more and more. The rule that we have is that people are more likely to own their own idea or decision when they come to their own conclusions. There have been times I've been so tempted to mess this up. You, you give an idea and you pray. And then you don't hear again until six months or a year later. The person says, you know, I concluded I'm going to do this, which is what I suggested a year ago. And the temptation will be, say, hey, I told you that a year ago. to no, know." No, don't even attempt that. Just smile and say, praise the Lord. And, you know, you, you just let those things go because they've owned their own idea. It's the best that we can hope for. Sometime, sometimes there's no luxury for questions and their own conclusions. <clears throat> Oftentimes, you think about the conversations that Jesus has with people. And you ask, is Jesus a good listener? You better believe it if he's perfect. And sometimes people come to him with a question about this. And then he talks about that. And people look at that and say, well, Jesus must not be a very good listener because he asked A and Jesus addressed B. No. J- Jesus is doing his own diagnosis. You realize, oh, Someone's talking about this. And he says something else. You think about the story of the rich young ruler. Wasn't that exactly it? It, it was a situation of wrong underlying assumptions. He makes statements. He draws out the conclusion. Oh, he, he brings out the wrong, conclu- the, the wrong assumption. Here, <clears throat> we also have that need to think about the best in a situation, even as we read In Psalm 141, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Well, does it ever seem like your friends who are supposed to love you and care for you, that they're not supportive of your idea, that that you had this brilliant idea and they've given you warnings rather than, man, that is a great idea. They've told you, well, what about this, this and this? And it's like, well, they just shot my idea down. Well, it sounds like they did. But Are we ready to heed that? Are we ready to accept it? We realize if uh, everyone in your life thinks it's a bad idea, but you, then I'm wondering or not it's not such a good idea. And so here we think about salutary speech, the opportunities that God has given us to be a blessing to others, to speak good into someone's life, to desire good for them. A pastor friend of mine often told me, Frank, when you, when you read the scriptures, how much of it speaks about encouragement? I'm reminded again and again how much of it speaks about encouragement. And here I'm thinking, well, it's probably because life in general is often discouraging with the various things that come up. And is it the case that God's people need to be encouraged in times of doubt, in times of fear, seems like that very well is the case. Here, the third point, the goal of grace. The goal of grace. That it may give grace to those who hear. That it may give grace to those who hear. We think about gracious words. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That our speech ought to be gracious. It ought to manifest the compassion, the wisdom, the kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we should not desire to be harsh in our speech. Uh, We should not seek to be demeaning in our speech. It must be seasoned with salt. You ask, why is salt valuable? Salt's valuable. I mean, think about where the term salary comes from. People used to be paid in salt, supposedly. Salt has a preservative effect. It draws, it draws water out. It prevents mold, other things. And we're told that we're, are, we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And Jesus warned, if the salt has lost its saltiness, what good is it? Meaning that you as a Christian, that you have a preservative effect on those around you. Do right, you think about how simple matter? Right? Someone takes out, oh, I got this Coke bottle. Right? Oh, it's 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 really far to that bottle opener in the kitchen. I'm just gonna stick it stick stick this bottle in my mouth and just crank my my teeth to open this bottle cap. Well, that could be a lot of expensive denture work. Hey, hold on. Go get, go get the bottle opener, or I'll get the bottle opener for you. You think about simple things like that, but you apply that to the ethical, the moral sphere, and the ramifications that they have, far, far more important than dental work, and that the Lord calls you to that. It, it, it may be that the person is never converted. doesn't matter. You think about the positive, the preservative effect that your life has. And then you think about the greater witness of our Lord Jesus, that the words that we say, oftentimes the the opportunity to bear witness of the gospel is not immediate. It's, It's the cumulative effect of the various things that you've said, the attitudes that you've expressed, that these are the things, the little things that open the door for you. That you might be a witness of Jesus Christ, and sadly, you know First, Second Corinthians two, that we are an, an aroma of life unto life and death unto death, meaning that uh, not everyone we talk to, not everyone we share the gospel with, will will be interested to hear and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. That's just the reality. But for some, it will be. You know what? This person really did care. This person. He actually believes what he says. Well, sadly, for that person, then, hey, the Lord has put a witness into your life, and when he shared or she shared the gospel with you, rejected it. Well, hey, here we saw the real deal an aroma of death unto death. Here we think about grace. Everyone wants to receive grace, everyone wants to be a means of grace. Here we we think about how, in your life, in your situation, Recall that we might, here, give grace to those who hear. Sometimes grace is in short supply. Your life uh, may be very difficult. You may have a very difficult phase in your life. Whatever the Lord, whatever providences the Lord brings your way. At times, what that might mean, even as... Uh, You're thinking through, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Meaning, hey, it's it's in the heart. The difficult times that there's complaint in my heart, there's grief in my heart, there's pain in my heart. Okay, okay, We, we acknowledge those things come. Well, then it might just mean that our words be few. Here, when you think about our Lord Jesus. Think of his last hours of life on this earth. Hanging on the cross. It's no surprise that um, for those who are crucified, that's kind of an open opportunity to curse anyone and everything. And if anything, they might throw a massive rock at you and hit you in the head and you would die sooner, which is maybe uh, like a coup de grace for them. And then you think about the centurion who witnessed Jesus breathe his last. And after he breathed his last, the centurion says, surely this was or this is the Son of God. You ask, how did he know that? He probably witnessed all kinds of people die on crucifixes. And perhaps the one thing that he realized was this man never used a four-letter word, never cursed anyone, I only heard him say a certain number of words, and they were all good. They were all blessings and positive, meaning that he didn't say much at all. That's number one. Struck him as this was unique. Well, these other guys are using whatever Hebrew or Greek four-letter word equivalents endlessly because of their pain. You're to acknowledge difficulty difficult times come. And they have the free reign to curse anything and everything. And here's Jesus. He says a handful of statements was a seven-seven statements, all about others to bless them. And you think, do we have in Him a perfect example? We do. Difficult times call us to hold back our words. We're called to do that. We also have in Jesus one who lived the perfect life. Even down to the very end, His last breath, Jesus was tempted. Yet he is without sin. He spoke perfectly. And we think about how there might be grief. There might be sadness. uh, There might be regret of words that we said. You know, teach children, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true. Some of the most painful things people have received are words said in anger. Words said in spite. And here we ask ourselves, well, are you one Who has thrown such words as sword thrusts. We realize that we have in Jesus one who lived the perfect life. He died on behalf of sinners. And that he truly is the son of God. He lived perfectly. And he is able to redeem us from our sins. Even the world of iniquity. The very sins of our speech. That he is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Have you trusted in him? Have you gone to jesus admitting confessing that i am a man or i am a woman of unclean lips that the lord jesus is the one who cleanses us from all unrighteousness that we have in him a perfect savior he saves us to the uttermost he is the one who gives us the ability to speak may you and i be those who desire to bring him glory in the things that we say And in the things that we do. That our Lord Jesus would be honored. That others would say truly. This man is the son of God. That others speak about him. Others hope in him. Real people. People who are fallen. But have a true hope. That our Lord Jesus is the one who redeems us from our sin. May we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God we thank you that you indeed are.